This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule, whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. Hey friends, Elisa Childers here. If you follow this podcast at all, you know that I love apologetics, but sometimes there's resistance to the discipline of apologetics from other Christians. Why is that? Today, I'm going to talk with a special guest about why Christians should study apologetics, or as we might say, it's an apologetic for apologetics. today is Tim Barnett. Tim works with the ministry Stand to Reason as a speaker and teacher who does a good bit of traveling, giving easy to follow and visually engaging presentations that train Christians to think clearly about what they believe and why they believe it. So Tim, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Lisa. Thanks for having me on your show. Well, it's it's. I wanted to have you on for a while, so I'm really glad that we finally worked it out. We did a lot of emailing back and forth, trying to figure out a good time and all that. So I'm so glad to have you on, and because we're going to talk about apologetics, something we're both pretty passionate about. Um, it's it's may seem like just a basic thing for people who are following our ministries, like we're going to talk about apologetics, but. There are so many misunderstandings about what apologetics mm-hmm. is, I think. And it seems like a lot of people just don't really grasp what it is. Some people think it's some kind of indoctrination or just a, a set a list of beliefs that you just have to believe this and that's what apologetics is. So just before we dive in, give us a definition. What is apologetics in reality? Sure. Uh, I think it's because of the word apologetics. It sounds like you know, Christian apologists are those guys that go around saying, I'm so sorry, I'm a Christian. You know, it it has that kind of apologizing. People think that I usually joke and say, no, we make other people sorry we're Christians. (laughs) And we don't don't do that either. Right. We don't do that either. Apologetics, um, strictly speaking, is a branch of theology that's concerned with giving reasons or a defense for the Christian faith. Hmm. Okay, And so and so that's what we do. I, I tell people, look, there's, there's uh, within apologetics, there's kind of positive apologetics and there's negative apologetics. Positive apologetics is the side that looks at arguments for Christianity. So things like um, arguing for God's existence or for the reliability of the Bible or for the deity of Christ or the resurrection. And then on the other side, you have negative apologetics, 
And you know, it sounds it sounds bad. Like you don't want to be the guy who does negative apologetics. Right. It's, but it's not a bad thing. It's more the defensive side, not the offensive side. So um, you're answering challenges that are against Christianity. So, for example, you might respond to alleged Bible contradictions, or you may uh, respond to the problem of evil. I know uh, in your current work, you know, you're looking at progressive Christianity. So you're kind of responding to that. That yeah. would be an example of of negative apologetics. But in either case, you're giving a reason or a defense for the Christian faith. Yeah. Uh, when, when, I, when I talk to students about this, to kind of help them visualize what an apologist uh, looks like, I tell them to imagine a lawyer standing in front of a judge and a jury, and they're going to make their case. What does a lawyer do? I mean, we've all seen Law & Order in some of these shows. They're giving arguments for their position. They're responding with counter arguments. Um, they're trying to be persuasive for their point of view. And that's essentially what the Christian apologist does. Yeah. And, and interestingly, everybody does this. All Christians, in fact, not even just Christians, but everybody is an apologist in one way or another, aren't they? Absolutely. Everyone needs to give an apologetic for their point of view. Um, not just the Christian. And so, I mean, we at Stand to Reason talk a lot about tactics. And uh, these are these, you know, our game plan in, in discussing our, our beliefs with, with uh, uh, people who maybe don't share our convictions or our beliefs. And one of the questions we ask that kind of turns the tables a little bit is to ask, um, how did you come to that conclusion? And this, this kind of question, you know, if I'm talking with my atheist friend or my Muslim friend or, or whoever, when I ask them, hey, how did you come to that conclusion? Now they are responsible for giving unapologetic, giving a defense. Give me your reasons for the things that you're saying. Yeah. So it's just the, we often, I think, uh, wrongly bear this burden to defend against all kinds of challenges um, when we're not necessarily the ones making the claim. That's a great point. And, yeah. And so if my atheist friend says there is no God, it's not my job to give a whole list of, well, oh yes, there is a God. And here's five reasons why I didn't make a claim. He did. Mm -hmm. Okay. You say there's no God. What are your reasons for that? Now you have to be the apologist for atheism. And so you're absolutely right. I think Christians need to start um, making the other person defend their beliefs. And, uh, and we can do that with tactics. Well, and you make a great point because often one of the, the objections to apologetics is like, we're not even dealing in a world of truth anymore. I mean, we are post-truth. In, in my interactions with even some progressive Christians, like they don't even care about the evidence you're bringing, but you bring up such a good point because even the person who says... Uh, you know, we don't need apologetics. That's a claim. So they have to actually defend. So in 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 trying to live as if we're post-truth, they're actually still really dealing in a world of objective truth by saying, I don't need apologetics or I don't need objective truth. Th those are objective, yeah. those are objective truth claims that they're making. And That's sometimes right. you can use these tactics and apologetics to help people kind of realize that, that, that you might think you've moved beyond apologetics, but you're actually still doing it. Yeah, I think that um, you're right. Kind of this this postmodern idea um, that maybe they'll say there is no truth, this kind of thing. They're not necessarily asking the question, is it true? 
Although I think deep down they still want to know it's true. Um, but they're asking the question, will it work? Right. And this is appealing not necessarily to the mind, but it appeals to the heart. And I think we have a response to that as well. Blaise Pascal, I think he was the one who said, make good people wish it were true, then show them that it is. Mm. And so we're going to appeal to the heart, um, show them that it works, and then show them, I think, kind of after that with the truth that it's not only that, you know, this thing works, but it actually is true. So we appeal to the heart first. And then we appeal to the mind by demonstrating that it's, it's, it's true. But I, I actually think that a lot of people claim to be postmodern and they still, you know, look both ways before they cross the street, you know, they're still living in a world of truth. And so, um, even though they maybe deny it with their lips, um, they, they can't live that way. Um, and so I think even apologetics appeals, appeals to them as well. Yeah, I think you're right. And so you travel all over the country, all over the world, and you, you're, you're speaking all the time. I mean, I follow you on Instagram and, and Facebook, and I, you're in a, it seems like you're always in a different uh, place speaking to this youth group and that church and this conference. So you yeah. are encountering a lot of different uh, streams of Christianity, a lot of different denominations. Yeah. Sure. So I'm curious, when you present apologetics to just the average Christian, what, what is generally the response? Do you find resistance? Do you find that they're very eager to learn what you're saying or what's, what's your, the general response to what you're presenting? Uh, it's kind of a a mixture. Um, mostly it's a friendly, uh, environment, you know, they brought me in, but I'll tell you what, here's the, the number one thing I hear is, is usually a statement like this. How could I have not heard this before? Wow. How is this the first time I'm hearing arguments for God's existence or an argument for the reliability of the Bible or for the resurrection or, or whatever? How, how can I be, and they may be 40 or 50 or 60 or whatever, and they say, how come no one has shared this information before? Wow. So that's, that's kind of the, that's usually the most popular kinds of responses we get. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also will get, you'll get pushback. You'll, you know, present a case and you'll hear, you know, from some people, I don't need to, I don't need arguments. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, I just have faith. Right. And by faith, they mean like a blind leap mm-hmm. and, you know, Here's the problem with that kind of response. First of all, um, for especially for young people, that kind of response is not going to get them very far. Those young people who just, you know, just have faith, when they show up at university and their and their professor, or maybe a maybe they go to in the workforce and their their colleagues are um, are atheists or or another religion, and they start challenging them. They're not going to be able to stand up and respond. And, you know, we can, we'll, we'll talk about this. There's a number, especially young people in that age 15 to 23, something like 60% are walking away from their faith. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think apologetics is, is a response to that. So yeah. you, what I found is, look at, I'll go in and I'll give, I'll do apologetics proper. I'll, you know, give an argument for truth or an argument for God or the Bible or whatever. But what I found is there are people sitting in the pew who don't even realize they need this kind. Yeah. And so I I realized, man, I maybe put the cart before the horse. I don't have a talk 
where I give an apologetic for apologetics. I don't have a talk where I make the defense for giving a defense of Christianity. And so that's where, you know, a few months ago I sat down and said, no, this needs to be done. Mm. You know, you probably get those, you know, these kinds of questions too. You know, you tell people, hey, I'm, I work in this kind this field of apologetics. And they say, you know, the first they say, what's that? Right. And then why, why would you do that? Right. Why is that even necessary? Yeah. And so I thought, okay, I need to put some material together so I can just give four reasons. You know, mm-hmm. someone says, Tim, why, why apologetics? Here's the four reasons, you know, that's that right. kind of thing. Yeah, that's really good. And we're going to get into those four reasons, but I wanted to comment on what you were saying here, because in my experience too, I, I do a lot of uh, youth events and women's events. And it's so interesting to me that to me, the response from women is generally like kind of 50, 50, like half of them are totally excited. Like, why haven't I heard this? This is so cool. And then, but the second most common comment I get is something along the lines of, I don't really need this because I have faith, but my, I want it for my kids. I want to teach this to my kids. Or a, a woman will say, I don't really need this, but my daughter just went off to college and became a pantheist. What do I do? And it's like, yeah. it's so hard to answer that question because really what you need to do is learn it for yourself so that you can yeah. learn to, t- it's not just about giving someone information, but it's about being able yeah. to, to have a conversation with your daughter uh, about apologetics. And so I have found too. Do you do some atheist role play when you go I do. around? Yeah, I find that really helps. Like a lot of Christians will come in like, what is this? I don't even know if I need this. But once you get them nice and mad that they can't really defend their faith, they'll they'll come bring their yeah. friends next time, you know. You're right. I think that that is the number one tool to get people um, motivated in learning apologetics and learning to learning to defend their faith. Um, it's one thing like we're going to talk about to give these reasons, but when they're in a room with, you know, the, 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 the atheist Mm -hmm. and they feel the weight of those arguments, um, something happens where now they are, I need answers to these challenges. Yeah. I mean, you get two responses. I've had people get up because they didn't know who I was. Oh, they didn't right. know I was Christian. And they start heading for the door. Uh, one guy was in uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, and he gets his whole youth group up. They're, and, the, and the guy who invited me ran to the back, said, no, no, you got to stick around. This is, you know, he's a, he's a Christian. He's going to answer these challenges. So he did come back. In fact, that guy, when he stood up, it wasn't like he went quietly. Yeah. He stood up in the middle of my presentation, oh, my atheist presentation and said, everything you're saying is false and we don't have to listen to this. Wow. And then he starts, and then as he's heading to the door, I'm like, sir, what did I say that was false? You know, like he, yeah. let's, let's dialogue. He didn't want any, anything wow. of it. He just, yeah. He apologized afterwards. And, you, but I, I get it. He wanted to, I, he wanted to yeah. protect students because he had no defense against what I was saying. Yeah. And that was, his only recourse. Um, and, uh, and so you must be a good atheist. (laughs) Hey, you know what? I, uh, there's a guy on YouTube. He critiqued my atheist role play. He's an atheist. Uh Um, he's got a pretty good following on YouTube and, uh, he, he actually skips over. I usually do a 20 minute full presentation. I got slides. I want to be as persuasive as possible, you know? Yeah. And he skips that in his critique and he actually says, 
Tim does an excellent job role playing the atheist. Wow. So I like cut the, I, I cut that clip out and I use it as an endorsement. Okay, that is and great. He, yeah, and then he, of course, he doesn't like at the end of my role play. I respond to all of the atheist challenges. I don't leave the kids hanging, right, you know, right. and, um, and that's where he took issue. He didn't think my responses were good. Oh, okay. Uh, well, sure. He, Cause he, he's, he's an atheist. still an atheist. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he thought I played a good atheist. So I liked it. That's very, I'll, that's a, that's high praise. That's great. It is. It is. I'll take it. All right. So let's talk about this article you wrote on str.org. It's called Why Apologetics? Just short and simple title. It's been getting some attention. So in the article, you outline four reasons why every Christian should do apologetics. So let's talk about, um, just give us an overview of what the four reasons are, and then we'll kind of dive down deeper into each one. Sure. I actually didn't come up with these kind of pithy aphorisms. I think they're easy to remember. I took a class with uh, Dr. Norm Geisler at yeah. Southern Evangelical Seminary. He must be 84, 85 years old now. Yeah, he's getting uh, up there. He is. And uh, he's still sharp, though. And, um, and so he taught me apologetics. And, and so he used these four things. So I can't take credit for coming up with them, but I think these categories best describe kind of um, uh, uh, these arguments. And so he says, the Bible commands it. So why apologize? The Bible commands it. The culture demands it. The church needs it. And the results confirm it. And so I thought, you know, Jesus used these kind of aphorisms, easy to remember statements um, when he would teach. And so I know at Stand to Reason, we try to do the same thing. Yeah. And I think these these are at least easy for, you know, my memory. I don't have a great memory, but these, these stick. Definitely. So yeah. let, let's, let's talk a little bit more about number one. So you said the Bible commands it. Now I think a lot yeah. of Christians are maybe unaware of this. So talk to us about where in the Bible does it command us to do apologetics? Sure. Um, so, and this is really important. If it, if it truly does command it, and I think it does, I'll, show, I'll try to demonstrate that, then that means that apologetics isn't optional. I mean, that's not on the table anymore. Mm. As followers of Christ, you know, we are commanded to be apologists. And so probably the most um, often cited passage um, in defense of apologetics comes out of 1 Peter 3.15. Um, this is Peter... He's writing to Christians in Asia Minor. This is modern-day Turkey, and they're facing intense persecution. And in his letter, he encourages the Christians there to be ready to engage those who oppose the gospel. And so he says, Peter says, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do this with gentleness and respect. Now that word, defense, it's a, it's a Greek word. Um, and it, it's apologia, and it's used eight times actually in the New Testament. And each of those times, it literally means to give a formal defense, a reasoned argument for one's position. And so you could you could think of a lawyer, you know, giving a formal defense of their position. Um, so this is this is kind of the go-to passage, the command. I love how Peter he almost anticipates that that the people doing this, giving a defense might be jerks about it. And so he, he says, but do this with gentleness and respect. Um, and so that's a, that's a really good reminder. Yeah. Um, but Peter's not the only one who, who makes these kinds of claims. Paul does the same thing. I like Colossians, uh, chapter four, five, and six. 
easy to remember, four, five, six. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of your time. It says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And so again, he's got this idea of being gracious, you know, seasoned with salt. This is, you know, salt makes everything taste better, but we ought to know how to answer each person. And so do we know how to answer each person? It's kind of a, a challenge to all of us. Um, my favorite though is Paul in second Corinthians, um, chapter 10, verses four and five. He says, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. He says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. And so, uh, I usually ask audiences, you know, did you know that there are arguments and lofty opinions today that are raised up against the knowledge of God? And of course, I mean, turn on the news. I mean, just open your eyes and your ears and you'll see there's all kinds of these arguments out there. And our job, Paul says, is to destroy them. Yeah. The argument, not the arguer. Again, this is really crucial. We're not about destroying people. We're about destroying opinions. And I mean, we could go on. Paul says that you know, he was put in place for a defense and confirmation of the gospel in, in Philippians 1.7. That defense, again, is apologia. That's that same word showing up. Jude says that we are to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. That is a fighting word, mm-hmm. you know, contend for it. And yet, so here you have all these passages and we could go on. So the, to me, the Bible is clear. And yet you go into most North American churches um, and you ask them, what do you teach about apologetics? And they'll probably look at you like you have three heads, okay? Because apologetics is treated in most churches. I'm just speaking in generalities here. Not every, I mean, I get invited to some great churches. They love apologetics. Mm -hmm. But I would say most churches either treat apologetics as an extra Mm -hmm. at best. You know, we'll give you, okay, oh, you like apologetics? Okay, we got this corner classroom. Maybe it's just a closet, you know, and you can go to your class over there. Just don't bug the rest of us, you know? Right. So an extra at best or at work, it's an error at worst. Mm-hmm. Um, and so whether it's, I think that's apathy on the one hand and animosity on the other, both of those, in my opinion, are fueled by anti-intellectualism. Yeah. Anti-intellectualism. Talk about what that is. Just, I mean, obviously it's kind of obvious by what the word is, but just unpack that a little bit about anti-intellectualism in the church. Has that always been the way the church has been? Is that a more modern thing? I, that is a more, I mean, if you look at the history of the church, some of the greatest thinkers, um, of the last, uh, you know, even 2000 years, even go, yeah, 2000 years, some of the greatest thinkers of our time were Bible believing Christians, um, who treated the mind as this thing, you know, because we were created by God with a mind, we ought to use it. And, uh, and so there, I mean, there's been lots of books written about this kind of, uh, the, uh, anti-intellectualism. Um, there's a book by Mark Knoll called the scandal of the evangelical mind. And he says, the scandal of the evangelical mind is there is not much Mm. of an evangelical mind, right? People just don't think, deeply anymore. Um, William Lane Craig, who is, I think, one of, if not the greatest living Christian philosopher um, today, 
And uh, in his book, Reasonable Faith, which is just an important book that um, I think everyone should read at some point, he says, our churches are filled with Christians who are idling in intellectual neutral. Mm. He says, as Christians, our minds are going to waste. One result of an immature or uh, superficial, one of the results of this is an immature, superficial faith. People simply riding the roller coaster of emotional experience are cheating themselves out of a deeper and richer Christian faith by neglecting the intellectual side of faith. Um, Years ago, um, Christianity Today had an article um, posted, a theologian, um, I think his name is Charles Malik, and he said that I must see this is what he says. I must be frank with you. The greatest danger confronting American evangelical Christianity is the danger of anti-intellectualism. The mind is the greatest and deepest, uh, the mind in its greatest and deepest riches is not cared for enough. Mm. And this was back in 1980. So uh, we're almost four decades from that point. And today, it's, I think it's probably worse. Um, we're just, I, I think what's happened is we've, there's another book uh, talks about amusing ourselves to death. Yeah. The church has put so much emphasis on entertainment, not education, and and as a result, we're like these you know couch potatoes. We're just we're just taking in 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 kind of uh, passively instead of instead of engaging our minds. Yeah. And that's I think this is why it's so important that we find churches, we attend churches that challenge us to think deeply on a weekly basis. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, and I think the the modern evangelical Christian culture too, something I've really <clears throat> given some thought to is we've so been taught, indoctrinated really, <clears throat> to separate our mind from our heart when really the yeah. Bible doesn't make that kind of distinction. In, in the Bible, you're, you have your the immaterial part of you and the material part of you. It's not like there's like six parts of you that are all... I mean, of course, we have emotions and we there's, there's all of that, but it's kind of like the immaterial part of you is really all one, and that's your mind, yeah. your heart, all of those things. And just to give you an example of this, I was scrolling through Instagram this week, and I, I saw this post from some kind of a worship organization. I hadn't heard of it. I hadn't heard of the worship leaders, but they had like 50,000 followers. So it's not, you know, they're, they're well followed. And they posted a picture of an arm with the, like all the hairs on the arm standing up. And the text of the picture said, this is how I know I'm in the presence of God is when I get the chills and, and oh I feel goodness. goosebumps and it yeah. had all these likes and everything. And I was just like groaning going, Oh my gosh, because we've so been taught that, that, you know, you don't need that intellectual stuff just if you feel the goosebumps. But the problem as, as I'm sure anybody listening, you can kind of deduce for yourself is you're going to get those same chills and those same goosebumps at a U2 concert or at, you know, a, an orchestra, uh, concert. And in fact, there was kind of this famous interview with Brad Pitt in mm. GQ magazine where he was raised evangelical Christian. And it was actually that exact scenario where he went to a rock concert and felt all the same feelings he would feel in the worship services and mm. then concluded, oh, okay, so 
it's not, that's not just exclusive to Christianity. That's just sort of this kind of experience that, that we have, and it doesn't necessarily mean it's God. And so I think like often when, when we don't teach apologetics, when we don't uh, teach Christians to engage the intellectual uh, part of themselves, we're really surrendering them just to whatever they feel like that day. Because honestly, there are a lot of things that, that give me the chills or, or I, I feel that kind of, you know, that, that goosebump kind of feeling. And, um, and that really speaks to that anti-intellectualism. Yeah, I I completely agree. How do you adjudicate a Brad Pitt? He raises a good point there. I mean, if you're get the same experience, how do I, how can I say one experience is true and another is false? Right. Um, and if that's the only test of truth, whatever experience I feel, and, and it's the the same goes for, you know, if you're talking with a a Mormon, um, and they say, well, I read the book of Mormon and felt this, whatever they, you know, burning in the bosom or whatever they want to call it. How can I talk them out of that? Well, I have to appeal to reasons and evidence, right? right? I can't just say, well, you know, I've had experience too. And now it's my experience versus their experience. That's not, that's not going to work. Yeah, right. Right. Um, so yeah, this, this anti intellectualism, I think is the greatest threat that the church faces today. Yeah. Um, what's interesting is, um, a couple years back, uh, a Trinity Western professor, um, uh, named Myron Penner, he wrote a book called the end of apologetics mm. and it, uh, the subtitle was Christian witness in a postmodern context. Okay. And he said in his book that apologetics itself might be the single greatest threat to genuine Christian faith that we face today. Wow. Apologetics. Yeah. And here, I mean, there's, so there's a bit of an, I mean, there's a bit of an irony at a few different levels here. One is he goes to, he writes this book. I don't know if you've read it, but it's, his whole book is an apologetic <laughs> against apologetics. Right. In fact, right. I think it's a lousy apologetic. So there's he's using the very tools that he's arguing against, reason, evidence, this kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. But it's even worse because if we're right, if what we're talking about is true, that anti-intellectualism is a huge problem in the church, then what what Penner's saying is apologetics is a, actually apologetics is the antidote to anti-intellectualism. He's saying, no, it's the worst threat out there. I'm saying, no, actually, that's the thing that's going to help us fight the worst threat, which is anti-intellectualism. Yeah. And, uh, and what's really sad is Christianity Today in 2014 actually gave the end of apologetics, this book that argues against apologetics, um, they gave it an award for in in the category of um evangelism and apologetics which is i mean it's just so i mean it's just so <laughs> weird that yeah wow. 2014 it won the award in that category that is kind of perfect <laughs> yeah i mean it's that's yes yeah, so we we need to be able to respond to this stuff yeah that's, it's golly, yeah it, it that, that, i'm just like processing that like that's the most perfect just living metaphor for what we're (laughs) talking about. Wow. We'll have more with Tim in a moment, but I want to tell you about a ministry called Impact 360 and their summer experience called Impact 360 Propel. 
It's designed to equip students to be culture changers, to dare to step into their leadership calling among their peers through TED-style sessions, experiential leadership training, and small groups. Students are encouraged to own their faith out of their identity in Christ. If you want to sign up your high schooler for this amazing experience, you can go to impact360.org slash propel and use my name as a promo code. That's ALISA, all caps, A-L-I-S-A for $25 off your tuition. I will be there again this summer speaking, and I'd love to meet your student at Impact 360 Propel. Okay, so why does or how does the culture demand it? Okay, so um, first thing, the, the Bible commands it, and that means if um, if you're not doing, if you're not giving an answer, uh, if you're not contending for the faith, these kinds of things, then you're being disobedient. Okay, that's the mm. first thing. And I don't want to, I mean, so even if the rest of these arguments didn't work, I think they do, but if they didn't, just I think number one alone is enough to get me out of my seat and say, okay, I need to be doing this because the Bible says so. But the culture demands it. The late um, philosopher, theologian, Francis uh, Schaeffer, uh, he referred to apologetics as pre-evangelism. And that actually might be a more more helpful term. People, I think, people, uh, they want to engage in evangelism. They think it's an important endeavor. Um, And so calling it pre-evangelism is helpful because this is the idea that we're going to use well-reasoned answers and arguments kind of as a springboard uh, to sharing the gospel. And so for me, apologetics lays the ground for the invitation, and then you have a evangelism that actually extends the invitation. In fact, that's what um, Oxford theologian uh, Alistair McGrath says. He says apologetics lays the, the ground for the invitation, and then evangelism extends it. So they work together. For me, there are two sides of the same coin. You can't do evangelism today without doing apologetics. Yeah. They, they work hand in hand. Um, because as soon as you share the gospel with someone, you need Christ, repent, believe, they're going to start asking questions like, who, why, do, why do I need Christ? And, and as soon as they start asking these kind of why questions, you're going to have to give a reason, give an answer. And so uh, very, very important. But the culture demands it because um, if you want to talk about, just for example, the Son of God, you want to talk about the Son of God who communicates the Word of God, who performs acts of God, who brings salvation of God. Well, you can't do any of those things unless there is a God, right? right. And so all it seems like all of these things are built on a foundation. Now, it used to be, I think, maybe 50 years ago, everyone just assumed, yeah, of course, God exists. You know, it wasn't, wasn't necessarily debated like it is today. Today, though, people are, are questioning that assumption. Okay, you want to talk about a word of God. You want to talk about the Bible being from God? Well, I don't even believe God exists. Mm-hmm. Prove to me. you got to show me that first before there could even be a word or a miracle or salvation or whatever from God. And so this is what I mean by pre-evangelism. Um, and so our culture is deeply influenced or saturated with different uh, worldviews, different philosophies. Um, you know this, and your listeners would probably be aware of this. You know, things like relativism, uh, there's no absolute truth. Pl- religious pluralism, 
There's no religious truth or exclusive religious truth. Uh, naturalism. There's no supernatural truth. Okay, so this is the culture that we swim in. This is the this is the water we live in. You know, think of the fish analogy. Um, and we don't even realize we're in it. You know, fish don't probably even realize they're wet, you know, because they just live in that yeah. environment. And so if you think about it, we're trying to communicate a, an absolute truth to a relativistic culture, an exclusivist message to a pluralistic culture, and a supernatural view to a naturalistic culture. Mm. And then we wonder why, you know, when we're presenting this kind of thing to the culture. They ask questions like, well, how can Jesus be the only way? Well, of course they're going to ask that question right. if, they're, if the culture's prolific. Or hasn't science proven that miracles are impossible? Of course they're going to ask that question. Or um, who are you to force your morality on me? Of course they're going to make a statement like that or ask a question like that because of the culture they live in. And so it's our job to respond with apologetics. And I think that these kinds of questions um, – we respond at a worldview level. And I think that's what apologetics is all about. Yeah. And so I actually refer to apologetics as answering gospelicals. Yeah. Now that's a, made, that's a made up word. I and, like it. Uh, and so what we do is we um, respond to, we remove obstacles of the gospel. And uh, a friend of mine, um, he came up with this term gospelicals. And it gets people to think, yeah, this is, what is that? Okay, obstacle of the gospel. Yeah, that's um, great. I love it. He, well, he, I don't know where he, he got it from, but it seems to me um, there's actually a quote, a hundred-year-old quote from uh, J. Gresham Machen. He's a, he uh, was speaking at Princeton Theological Seminary, and he said, false ideas are the greatest obstacles to the reception of the gospel. Mm. He goes on to say, under such circumstances, what God desires us to do is to destroy the obstacle at its root. Mm. And so false ideas, this is what we're, this is the world, you know, we're responding to as apologists, as apologists. And so we are, we want to remove those gospels so people are able to hear the gospel and hopefully respond, obviously with the help of the Holy Spirit, that they would receive the gospel. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's, that's our job. Yeah. And so many Christians just, when they, when they would share the gospel, when the person starts asking those questions, they'll just say, well, because the Bible says, well, how do you know the Bible's telling the truth? Well, because I have faith. And then yeah. at that point, you know, the, the unbelievers like, well, okay, good for you. See ya. <laughs> you <know? laughs> so yeah, it's, that's, that's really good stuff. So why does the church yeah. need it? So, uh, just as, and I don't know if I coined this term, I thought maybe Greg did. And I was talking to uh, Greg Coco, my boss, and, and I asked him about it and he said, no, he didn't come up with it. So just as you have pre-evangelism to the culture, I think apologetics is also post-evangelism to the church. Okay. Mm. What do I mean by post-evangelism? Well, you and I both know, and your listeners know that once you become a Christian, the challenges to our faith don't just evaporate. Right? right. In fact, I would argue that some of those challenges, they intensify because now I have to make sense of things like evil and suffering in the world. And I believe in God. And so how do I make sense of that? You know, like, and so and so uh, apologetics, I think, comes to the rescue in those situations. Yeah. So it's not just pre-evangelism to the culture so they can hear the gospel and receive it. 
but it's post-evangelism to the church. There's a whole lot of people in the church who are claiming to professing to be Christians. They need this stuff just as much as anyone else. And, well, and so I'm, I'm a living testimony of this. I was a Christian my whole life. And it wasn't until my faith was challenged in my 30s that I discovered wow. apologetics. And that is the vehicle God used to rescue me. So I, I'm, I'm just a living testimony a, of what you're saying. And your story, I mean, it's very similar. That I mean, mine was in my 20s university, grew up in the church, very similar um, background there. And then, but my faith was as shallow as you could get. I mean, we just didn't go deep in youth group. Mm. We went and played laser tag and, you know, <laughs> paintball. And we did those. I mean, I loved going to youth group. It was fun. And then we'd open the daily bread, you know, between the activity and someone would read it, close it up. Let's get back to playing. You know, mm. this was what we did. And so, uh, it wasn't until I got challenged where I started looking into these things. And so, um, I mentioned, you know, three in every five, (laughs) excuse me, five, um, young people walking away from their faith by the age of 15. This is starting early. I was just talking with my sister yesterday, uh, Sunday, a couple days ago. And, um, she mentioned to me, cause I'm going to be speaking at a camp that our, our, her kids are going to be attending. And they've asked me to do basically apologetics, and it's ages, uh, I think it's eight to 14. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I get to like 10 sessions. So I'm going to give them worldview apologetics. That's what they want me to do. Turns out my, my, uh, niece who is, um, eight years old, she's already, she goes to a Christian school. She's already asking questions like, um, how do I know the resurrection's true? Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and she, she made the comment to her older brother that, well, maybe this is just all a myth. Mm. You know, there's lots of things that are myths. Maybe this is a myth. And so it turns out I started talking with um, my sister and my brother-in-law, and they said, yeah, she's really, she's got a real skeptical nature. And her older brother's worried and has her reading <laughs> Jay Warner Wallace, you know, God's crime scene. Because yeah. he's our, he read that stuff, and he's worried about his little sister. Oh, yeah. And here's the thing, and your listeners will know this. You know, when we look in the Old Testament, this phenomenon of young people walking away, a generation walking away, it shouldn't surprise us. Um, when you know they we came into the promised land and Joshua dies, it says in Judges 2.10 that there was arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the works that were done in Israel. Mm. It took one generation and they had walked away, they turned to idols. And here we have, here we sit today and there are probably parents listening to this podcast and grandparents listening to this podcast. And they're saying, yeah, that's it. Exactly. One generation gone. Now my grandkids are now my kids. They don't want to hear about God. They don't want to hear about Christianity. You know, they've been there, done that. So how do we keep them from drifting away? And my answer is not going to surprise anyone listening it's apologetics. Now, I don't want to oversimplify here. I get it. People walk away for all kinds of reasons. But when we just look at the research, it is clear that a number of the issues that are cited, the top reasons, are apologetic in nature. And so uh, just one study that I'll talk about briefly, David Kinnaman, he's the president of the Barner Research Group. In 2012, they published a five-year study where they looked at 
why young people are walking away from the faith. And they summarized the top six reasons young people leave the church. And Christianity Today picked up on this, and they just summarized them in, with six words. And the six words were this, isolationism, that is, the, the young people were saying, we're too isolated. You're demonizing every view that's, that you don't hold to. So evolution, you just demonize it. You don't even, maybe don't even understand it. You just demonize it. And so isolationism. Um, and by the way, at Santa Reason, we teach don't isolate, inoculate. Right. Okay. Tell your kids about all the isms, relativism and pluralism and naturalism and all that stuff so they can defend against it. They said shallowness, number two, shallow. Our church doesn't think very deeply. Okay. It's boring. The Bible teaching is unclear. It's irrelevant. Again, shallow. Entertainment, not education, not real good education. Number three was Mm anti-science. Anti-science. The church is out of step with science, scientific development. This is why, I mean, most of the times I get in, I speak all the, every week it seems like I'm somewhere speaking. And probably eight out of 10 times they're asking me, can you speak on science and faith? Mm Mm-hmm. And that's because their kids have questions about this or the adults have questions about this. Number four is sex. They think the church's view of sex is too simplistic, is too judgmental. How are we responding to things like homosexuality and same-sex marriage, the transgender issue, gender identity? How are we responding? And it should be with truth and compassion, both of those things. Um, And I think a lot of churches may be just going down the route of let's beat people up with truth where there's no compassion and other churches are just going the compassion route and they sacrifice truth. Right. We need to do both. Yeah. Number five is exclusivity. They think the Christianity is too exclusive. Um, how can Jesus be the only way when there are lots of people out there who believe other things? Um, and then finally six is doubters. They said that the church is not a safe place for us to express our doubts. We're asking questions and nobody's giving us answers. Mm. And so when I looked at those top six things, two things jumped out at me. First of all, each of these relates in some degree to apologetics. Yeah. Awesome. In my opinion, some more than others, but I think in some degree, these are the kind of apologetic questions. And the second thing, which was interesting to me is we've been addressing these things for years um, stand to reason is not alone in this, but we certainly have been addressing all of those issues yeah. for years. This is not new. We're not surprised by this. And so, um, and so we have good answers to these challenges. The problem is most churches don't even realize these things are out there. And this goes back to how we started. Yeah. You show up at a church and you give a talk on a, some apologetic issue and they say, how come I've never heard this before? That was my own testimony. When I was, you know, 22 and in university studying physics and secular university. And so I'm being challenged and I started looking online. I didn't know who William Lane Craig was. I didn't know who Ravi Ravi Zacharias was or Josh McDowell or C.S. Lewis. I don't know any of these guys. It was all new to me. And and one of the questions I asked was, how can that be possible? Mm How grow up in the church? and not know who William Lane Craig is. Yeah, I, One of the I, that's my story too. Uh, I didn't uh, I didn't know, I mean, I'd heard the word apologetics and I think I even took an apologetics class at my Christian high school, but it was really more about 
you know, what is, what do Buddhists believe? What do Hindus believe? Stuff like that. But I thought when I was hearing these claims against everything I had believed, I thought that guy thought of those things. (laughs) I didn't even know that we, you know, Christians have been answering these, these things for, since its inception. I mean, from the very first apologist, if if you read Justin Martyr, it's it's like, it's like the same thing we're still talking about now. And it's, you know, everything you're saying with those six points, it just brings me back to what you were talking about with that youth pastor that stood his youth group up and was going to walk out the door. I imagine that they really left, that they, that, you know, he, he got them up and they got out the door and they left. Those kids, their mem- when their faith was, would be actually challenged in the real world at college or wherever online, all they're going to remember is my youth pastor obviously didn't know the answers to this stuff and didn't want to hear it. Now imagine that that youth pastor had been really trained in apologetics and he could have stood up in that moment with your atheist persona and said, well, hey, have you considered this? And if those kids could have seen him interact with you in a gracious, non-fearful, but rational way, uh, that again, that would be the memory that they would have if their faith would be challenged later. And and again, I'm not bashing that youth pastor. I'm sure he his intentions were good sure. and, and he was doing the best he could. But but yeah. this is why we need this education and this yeah. is why we need an apologetic for apologetics, so to speak. That's right. And I, I mean, just as a personal anecdote to this, because I mean, I these six things are, I can relate to virtually all of them, but in the, the last one, I'll just share a quick story and then we can maybe move to the, the, the last point. Um, I, so I had a real rough year last year. Um, we lost four family members and a close friend. So, I mean, 2018, I can say without a doubt, it was for our family, it was a worst year of our lives. Mm. Okay. If I could erase 2018 and just, you know, somehow skip it, definitely want to do that. But, um, and so one of the people we lost was my grandfather. Now, actually there's, so, um, that was last March year, almost a year ago. Um, and I remember being overwhelmed with feelings of doubt. Now, the night before, I actually um, was really cool. I got to share with my grandfather the gospel, and I had prayed that morning. I got a call that morning. My mom said, your grandpa's in the hospital. His kidneys are failing. You need to go. You need to go see him. So we brought the whole family, and we ended up not getting in because they were doing tests on him and some things. And uh, so there was about 30 of us. I have a huge family, okay, just a Mm -hmm. massive family. Um, on the one side, there's 60 of us that get together at, you know, Christmas on the other side, there's probably 35 now, something like that. So there's like 30 of us in this waiting area in the lobby. And I'm thinking, how am I going to, how am I going to speak truth, share the gospel with most of my family who are unsaved? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, it's going to be awkward, but Tim, you've got to do this. Well, it turns out we couldn't go in. And so I took my kids home. We waited over an hour took him home. And I, I went back to the hospital on my own with my sister. Turned out we couldn't, uh, we got there, all my family's gone. And we thought maybe they moved my grandfather. Well, it turned out they, um, there was a tuberculosis scare. Hmm. They thought they had identified it in the room and they said, you can't go in there. Well, I said, I'm going in. I don't, I don't, I don't care. And so they put these like hazmat suits <laughs> on my sister and I, we went in there and I was able to share uninterrupted, my Mm. sister's a believer as well, um, for over an hour about the gospel and, um, 
And this is my grandfather who's in his eighties mm. and who has been hard to the gospel his whole life, uh, virtually his whole life. And he receive he, he he says yeah i want to believe i want to trust christ wow. and i'm thinking okay is he on drugs like what <laughs> right. is happening here like this is this is not how it's supposed to be yeah. he's now supposed to raise challenges and i'm supposed to answer those challenges right no he's just he was ready to receive it mm. very interesting anyways the next morning so i and then um so we were really the last people he spoke to he passed away the next morning i'm driving to the airport in the morning I'm going to Dallas Rethink, a student apologetics conference, and I'm overwhelmed with feelings of doubt. Questions in my mind are, who am I to share about eternal life, the afterlife, with a dying man? How can I be so sure that I'm right? I'm not that smart. Maybe I'm wrong about this whole thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was over, it was overwhelming. Now, the irony of the whole situation wasn't lost on me because here I am, a professional Christian, you know, I am, I get paid to be a Christian. You know, I, I'm an apologist. I'm going to an apologetist conference and I'm driving to the airport and I'm feeling these feelings of doubt. Mm -hmm. And this echoes in my mind. What do you really know, Tim? What do you really know? And then I did the only thing that I could think of what I trained people to do, what I've trained myself to do. I started answering my own doubts I started, okay, t- true. I don't, I'm not smart. I'm not that smart. You know, I don't know everything, Yeah. but there are some things I do know just because I don't know everything doesn't mean I don't know anything. And so what do I know? Well, I have, I know that truth exists. I know that to deny truth is you basically have to affirm it. Yeah. Right. And so I know God exists. I know that God created the universe. He's the ground of the moral standard in the universe. He's the fine tuning of the universe points to God. I know that the Bible's trustworthy and there's reasons for that. Not just because the Bible tells me so. Mm-hmm. I know that God, Jesus is God in the flesh. I know that Jesus rose from the dead. Why do I know those things? Is it because I'm special? No. Well, I think I am special, but <laughs> I, 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 it's not because I'm special. It's because I had some secret insights that no one else knows about. No, that's not it. It's because this, the, these truths are the best explanation of reality. Yeah. Truth, God, by all those things make sense of the world. And so here I am. Apologetics wasn't esoteric. It wasn't abstract. It wasn't irrelevant. It was as practical as it gets for me. Mm-hmm. Here I am responding. And I don't think I'm Unique. I think there's a whole lot of Christians out there who are even listening as we're talking. And they're maybe they've needed apologetics, or maybe in the future they're going to need it because they're going to face some kind of obstacle in their life, some kind of challenge. Maybe it'll be questions or doubts. And apologetics provides very real responses to the reasons that people doubt and leave the faith. Yeah. And so if this can happen to me, a professional apologist, it can happen to the 14-year-old, the 16-year-old, the third, you know, it can happen to anyone. Yeah. Um, I think, I think this is biblical. There might be some people listening and thinking, well, maybe Tim, you just didn't have enough faith Mm -hmm. or something like that. And my response would be consider John the Baptist as he's sitting in prison, awaiting an execution. Okay. He's in a Roman prison. In the first century, this is the same John the Baptist that 
left in his mother's womb at the sound of Mary's voice. He's the one who said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's the same John who baptized Jesus and heard a voice from heaven say, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This guy experienced all of that. And now he's in a prison awaiting execution. And he sends word to Jesus and says, are you, are you the guy? Are you yeah. the one? Or should we look for another? He's, he's now questioning. He's now maybe even, I mean, some people just make a distinction between questions and doubting. It seems like he's got some serious questions though. He, maybe even, what do I really know? The same question I had, Tim, what do you really know? John might've been thinking, man, I thought I had this figured out, but what do I really know? Jesus' response in that situation, people can read about it in Matthew 11. His response is, go tell John, to John's disciples, go tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight, the lame are walking, the, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf are hearing, the dead are raised up. He's get, he says, look it, there's a whole lot of evidence. There is reasons to believe that I'm the guy, that I'm the one you were looking for. John, you're right about who I am. And how do you know that? Don't just trust some feeling in your heart. Don't just look for the goosebumps sticking up. Mm -hmm. You know, that wasn't the test. The way he knew was external reasons and evidence. When people ask me, you know, why do apologetics? Jesus used apologetics. Okay. So, um, and so, so we should, so we should too. And so here we got, you know, the Bible commands it. The culture demands it. Uh, the church certainly needs it now, I think, more than ever. And then we got one more, I think. Yes. So, so what do you mean by the results confirm it? Yeah. So this is uh, results confirm it. All I mean is it works. I think that's what Norm Geisler meant by it. It's just apologetics works. Yeah. If you try it, I mean, you, you, you already gave your, your testimony, my own testimony, is that this this is the kind of thing that leads people to the truth. Um, and, uh, but it's not, I mean, we could talk about those anecdotal situations, mm-hmm. but I think if you just go to scripture, Paul does this in the book of Acts over and over and over again. And so if people want to check out, go read Acts 17. What you'll find is Paul, according to his custom, this is right at the beginning of Acts 17, he goes into the, the, the synagogue and this was his custom on, it says in three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Goes on to say, explaining and giving evidence that Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. And then notice the response, okay? It says, some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with a large number of God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. That's verse four. So here we have just one example, and we could point to many, where Paul used apologetics he explained and gave evidence and reasoned with people. And what happened? People were persuaded. Yeah. And so it's it's biblical. Paul did it. The results confirm it there. But also, there are many, many, many people. Uh, I run into them all the time. But there's, you know, there's the famous guys like C.S. Lewis, guys like Josh McDowell, Lee Strobel, J. Warner Wallace, Nabil Qureshi, Abdu Murray, David. I mean, you could go down the list of these guys who are now kind of in this business, who are now kind of professional apologists. Mm-hmm. Um, this is their story. Yeah. They came to Christ, and it was through apologetic argument and and uh, evidence. Yeah. 
And so, man, so even if the Bible didn't command it, and even if the culture didn't demand it, and even if, you know, the church didn't actually need it, I think it does need it, and the culture does demand it, and the Bible does command it. But even if those weren't true, from a kind of a pragmatic standpoint, apologetics, I would still do apologetics because it works with people. Yeah. Um, so there, I mean, those to me are, are four, I think, powerful reasons why we need to start doing apologetics, get it into our churches, into our youth groups. Um, yeah. Cause we need it for all these reasons. We do. And I, I love that you sort of brought out that this is an ongoing thing. This isn't just, you learn it one time and you've gotten your apologetics under your belt and you're good to go. I mean, for me, this is how I live. And I have days where my doubt is significant. I've talked to my husband about this. Like I'm just some, I'll wake up some days and it's just really hard to believe. And I'll pray that prayer of the, the father prayed with Jesus. I believe, help my unbelief. I pray that all the time. But ultimately what I do is exactly what you, you described. I go through my reasons and I start by looking up at the sky and I look at, at the, the clouds and the trees and the grass around me. I look at all of this and I, and I know it is much harder to believe that this popped into existence out of nothing than to believe that it had a cause. And that's where mm-hmm. I start. And then I start, I, I start going through my, my reasons for why I'm a Christian and why I believe uh, what I believe. And with the Holy Spirit's help, uh, he's not let go of me yet. And, and, and I, I'm able to kind of work through my doubt in, in that way. And so I think that that's a very practical thing, uh, a, a practical reason to study this, because if you it took me a year before I even really understood the cosmological argument. I, I heard lectures on it and read some things, but I just like, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's something about creation. I didn't really get it. But once yeah. I got it, it was in me. And that's, mm-hmm. a, and that's the one I go to first. It's just, yeah, you know, it, it just, this has to have a cause. No, nothing pops into existence out of nothing. I mean, that would, that would be magic. <laughs> like yeah. there has to be a rational cause. And so that's, that's where I start. And so, that that is um, uh, these are great reasons, and I thank you so much for for sharing this. If if somebody wants to read the article, they can go to str.org. It's called Why Apologetics. Now, Tim, if somebody wants to bring you to their church to do uh, a apologetics presentation or a series with their youth, how can they get a hold of you for that? So, if they were to go to uh, Stand to Reason's website, uh, it's just str.org. Um, they'll find uh, a link there. I think it says training and, uh, they can actually book, uh, me through that. Um, you can also go to, uh, one of our ministry partners is, uh, Darcy. Uh, she, um, books all of Greg's events, Alan's events, Alan Schliemann, Greg Kokel, and my events. And, um, so if you were to email just Darcy, D-A-R-C-Y at str.org, um, you'd get her directly. And then she, she works out all the details. She is a wonderful lady. Um, and she takes care of all that stuff. She basically just tells us where to go and we, and we go. <laughs> that's okay. great. That's, that's yeah. great. So take advantage of that. Bring Tim to your church and, and get this going at, at where you are. In fact, if you're listening and maybe you're not a pastor at your church, but you know, I have found that when you actually will present these ideas to pastors, like, Hey, I'd love to bring this person in to talk about this. Uh, a lot of times they're very open to, to getting that started, but it's just going to take a passionate person to, yeah. to make people excited about it. So, so that can be you, if you're listening, you can, you can bring this to your church. 
Yeah, we, we often will go places. And uh, one of the first questions I'll ask when I get up on, on the, the stage uh, is, hey, does anyone uh, who here is familiar with Stand to Reason? And it's usually, I mean, sometimes you go to places where there's lots of people, but uh, most of the time, there's less than a handful. It's usually the guy who, you know, really pushed to get me invited there. And then, of course, we do our thing and I get to talk to people afterwards. And they're so grateful yeah. that, you know, we've made the trip out and that they were able to hear this material. And uh, so, Well, that's yeah. awesome. Well, this was really fun, Tim. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. enjoyed listening to this podcast, you can sign up to receive my posts by email by going to alisachilders.com and clicking the subscribe button or simply subscribe to the Alisa Childers podcast on iTunes. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.